Good evening, this is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every week at this same time <clears throat> to Bible Crossfire. In this program, you get to call in, ask your Bible questions, make your Bible comments. It's not just a one-way conversation. We're glad to take your call. The lines are wide open. The number to call again, if you have a Bible question or comment, is 877-655-6755. While we're waiting on our first call, I thought we'd talk about some exceptions in the Bible. Exceptions. E-X-C-E-P-T-I-O-N-S. Exceptions. How about John 14, verse 6? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. What's the force of that exception? No man comes to God but by me, except by me. In other words, the only way you can come to the Father is through Jesus Christ. There's not two or three or four different ways. There's only one way. No man cometh unto the Father but or except by me. He's the only way. That's the force of the exception clause. Same thing in John 8:24. Jesus said, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for except ye believe that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. American Standard Version. Except you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. In other words, the only way to avoid dying in your sins is to believe in Christ. There's not another way, not a second way or a third way. Except you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. The only way to avoid dying in your sins is if you believe in Jesus. That's what the word, that's the force of the accept clause there, of the exception clause. You get it? So what we've learned from those two passages is that you have to believe in Jesus to be saved. There's no other way. We learned that from the acceptive clause, the exception clause in those two verses. The only way you can be saved is if you believe in Jesus. Now, a lot of preachers will hedge on this. They may preach regularly that you have to believe in Jesus to be saved, but if you ask them point blank, does that mean Jews and Muslims are going to be lost? They'll say, no, they can be saved in their religion. <laughs> They're hedging. And these two verses clearly say the only way you can be saved is by believing in Jesus. We find an exception clause in Luke 13, 3. Jesus said, I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So you've got to do more than just believe in Jesus to be saved. you also got to repent. That's the force of the exception clause here. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. In other words, if you don't repent, you can't avoid perishing. The only way to be saved is if you repent. So you got to believe and you got to repent. We see that from these exception clauses. Yeah, we have a lot of preachers out here that say all you got to do to be saved is believe. But this says, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So even if a believer can perish if he's not willing to repent. I mean, isn't what the, that the gay church is all about? They say they believe in Jesus. They say they believe in the Bible, but they're not willing to repent of their sins. That's why they're in the gay church. Except you repent, you'll perish. you got to repent. That's the force of the exception clause. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. The lines are wide open. How about this one? In John 3, 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man... Be born of water and of the Spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. 
What's that talking about, being born of water? Well, the only thing in the Bible of spiritual significance that involves water is water baptism. And this is saying, except you're born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. In other words, you can't be saved unless you're baptized in water. That's, that's what that ha would have to mean. We could look at Romans 6, and we see from Romans 6 that the new birth, and that's, just what, that's what we're talking about in John 3, 3 and 5, the new birth, it begins at water baptism. That's when you are forgiven of your sins, and that's when you start your new life. So what we've seen so far is, from these accept clauses, is you've got to believe in Jesus to be saved. That's not the only thing. You've got to repent to avoid perishing. We see that from Luke 13, 3. And from John 3, 5, you've got to be baptized. Except a man be born of water in the Spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That's the force of the exception clause. This is the one and only way. Just like those passages on belief meant the only way you could be saved is by believing in Christ. Just like for Luke 13, 3 meant the only way you could avoid perishing is by repenting. John 3, 5 would mean that the only way you could avoid being lost is by being baptized in water. It takes belief, repentance, and baptism. Let's look at some more Bible exceptions. In John 6, verse 39, Jesus said, And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise him, raise it up again at the last day. All that God the Father gives to Jesus, he would lose nothing. Now that verse is many times quoted. I've heard it recently quoted at least twice to try to prove the idea of once saved, always saved. Jesus says, all that the Father gives me, I should lose nothing. But first of all, that doesn't say that he couldn't lose nothing. It said that he would not lose nothing. And he's really talking about his apostles here. And he's saying, all that the Father gave me, his apostles, I should lose nothing. Not that he couldn't or that it was impossible to lose them, but that he didn't lose them. So it's not teaching what saved always saved. You know, if it were on the subject of can a person lose his salvation, then actually the very opposite would be taught because you know, that verse in John 6 says, all that the Father gave me, I should lose nothing. But there's an exception to that stated in John 17, 12. Here Jesus says, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in my name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. So John six thirty nine says he didn't lose nothing of the ones that the Father gave him. Well, does somebody think... Some people use that to try to prove you can't lose your salvation. Well, if that's what it's talking about, then John 17, 12 would prove conclusively that you could lose your salvation because he says the same thing in John 17, verse 12, that none of them is lost, but he gives an exception, the son of perdition, Judas. So he did lose Judas. He didn't lose the other 11. He didn't lose the apostles. Father gave, but he did lose one, the son of perdition. There's an exception statement. So if John 6 is on the subject of once saved, always saved, then it's parallel. John 17, 12 would conclusively prove once saved, always saved is false because he said, I have lost none of them but one, Judas. So if that's talking about they, that they were saved and then lost, then that would prove that Judas was saved and then lost. Once saved, always saved would be proven untrue, not proven true by those passages. That's the force of the exception clause. Jesse from Oklahoma, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Uh, good evening, Patrick. Uh, this is it's not a salvation issue, I don't think, but 
there's a, uh, a scripture in there where it talks about a, a rich man steward that finds out he's about to get fired, and he calls the people that owe his master money. Uh, I think one is like a hundred things of oil, and he says, "Quickly, write down fifty, and the next one's, you know, a certain amount of barley or flour." And he says, "Write down less." And at the end of it, it, it they say that he dealt wisely, and I uh, I can't wrap my mind around that. It seems like almost embezzlement or something. Yeah. I believe that story is in Luke 16, 1 through 13. Okay? And what yeah, is, is like, being commended... Like yeah. Luke 16, 1 through 13. And it's this, sometimes it's talked about as this... It's titled as the the story of the, the parable of the unjust steward. And it's hard... Maybe the, your question is, how can Jesus be, be complimenting this steward when the steward is acting dishonestly? Is that really your question there, Jesse? Yes, thank you for yeah. summarizing it. Yeah, and what's going on, I think, here is that, yes, the steward's going to be fired, and so he basically goes to the, the guy he works for, he goes to their creditors and says, basically, if you'll pay me a certain amount, we'll, we'll just, to make it simple, half of what you owe, I'll write off your debt. And he does this to a number of people, and, and in that way he makes friends of all these people so that after he's let go, after he's fired... He'll have these friends to take care of him. Okay? Now, I don't think what Jesus is doing here, I don't think he's complimenting the steward's dishonesty. Jesus taught, teaches in a num number of places, Jesse, we have to be honest with our money, okay? Here's what I think he's, he's, he's complimenting. is uh, He's basically complimenting the fact that the steward was looking out for his future. Okay, Not that he's complimenting the dishonesty, but he's looking out for his future. In other words, he's doing what's necessary so that after he's fired, he'll be taken care of physically. Okay? And, and Jesus' point is, you ought to do that when it comes to spiritually. You ought to use your money, your resources, uh, uh, to make spiritual friends... Basically, you ought to use your resources, in other words, to look out for your future. Your money, your material possessions, any resources you have, use them to look out for your future spiritually. In other words, you'll be wise if instead of using all your resources, your money and material possessions, you'll be wise instead of using all that to have a good life here, that you'll lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Use your resources to make sure that you have a good future, we're talking about with him, spiritual or eternal future. Does that make sense, Jesse? Uh, yeah, that, that gives me kind of a track to run on to uh, the next time mm -hmm. I read that yeah. over. That'll, that'll help. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you know, we have uh, we, the Rahab, the prostitute, is complimented in Hebrews 11 for her faith. Uh, uh, James chapter 2 compliments her. But it's not trying to compliment the fact that she was a, a prostitute. It's trying to compliment the fact that she had faith enough to help the spies when they came in to search out the land. And that in that way, her and her family were saved physically. 
because when Israel came in and took the land, they saved her family because she had helped them. So it's not complimenting her profession, we might say. It's complimenting her faith in uh, uh, in trying to uh, do uh, believe in what was going to happen enough to save her family alive. So just because somebody is dishonest or not acting correctly in the Bible talks about them doesn't mean it's necessarily that it's trying to complement the sin that they're in. But in the case of the unjust steward, he's complimented because he uses his resources to look out for his future in a physical way. And in the same way, we ought to use our resources to look out for our future in a spiritual way. You got any final questions or comments, Jesse, before I let you go? Well, I guess if the Lord used uh, only people who had no sin or no bad uh, you know, actions on their part, the Bible would be very, very short. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point, Jesse. Yeah. And Jesse, guess like what? That parable, <laughs> that parable of the unjust steward has caused a lot of uh, wonderment by, by a lot of different Christians. You're not the first one to ask a question like that. A lot of people wonder about that. But I think that's what's going on there, okay? All right, sir. Thank you. Have a blessed night. Thank you for your call. Let me mention the number again. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. The number to call if you have a Bible question or comment is 877-655-6755. And so we were talking about exceptions in the Bible. Let me read a passage here. Romans 13, 1-2 says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power of God, but powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves condemnation. And in connection with that, let me turn in my Bible and read 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. If if you have your Bible following along, it says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or to governors and so forth. But the verse says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. And that would seem to say that we have to obey the laws of the land. And not only that, every law of the land. Somebody might say, But what if they tell you to do something that's contrary to God's law? Well, that would be a problem. And that's why we have past verses like Acts 5.29. It says, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. So the, 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 uh, the leaders, the guys in charge, were telling Peter and them to quit preaching. Uh, the authorities were telling them to quit preaching. They said, We ought to obey God rather than men. So 1 Peter 2.13 is telling us to obey all the laws of the land, like the speed limit and everything else. But a passage like Acts 5.29 gives us an exception to that. If the law of the land tells you to do something contrary to God's law, then you have to obey God's law. Yes, we have to obey the laws of the land, all the laws of the land, unless they contradict God's law. And if they contradict God's law, we have to let God's law take precedence over man's law, over the laws of the land. So this passage in 1 Peter 2.13, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. There's an exception to that. You obey every ordinance. The exception is if that ordinance, if obeying it, would cause you to violate God's law, then you must not obey it. You see how exceptions work in the Bible? 
If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call, 877-655-6755. Here's another exception. I'll first read the passage where the exception is not stated. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, talking to Christians, says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, it seems like that verse would be saying that no matter what the sin is, all unrighteousness can be forgiven if we're willing to confess it. If we're willing to repent of that, we can be forgiven of all unrighteousness. You know, but there is one exception to that. And Matthew 12, 31 and 32 tells us about that exception. Jesus says there, Wherefore I say unto you, All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. There's that all. Sounds like he's talking about every single sin can be forgiven. Then he says, But the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. So, 1 John 1, 9, and even the first part of Matthew 12, 31, seem like they're saying any sin can be forgiven. But there's an exception given in Matthew 12. The blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. But is used there in the sense of except. There is one sin, and one sin only, that you can't be forgiven for. Any sin can be forgiven if you're willing to repent. But there's one sin that God will not forgive, even if you do repent, and that's the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That's the way the exception clause works. Any sin can be forgiven, except the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That's what Matthew 12, 31 and 32 would teach. That's the force of the exception clause. All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven to men. If that's all we had, we'd think every single sin. Then it says, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. Meaning there's one and only sin that will not, cannot be forgiven. God will not forgive that sin, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. All the other ones will be, if you're willing to repent. But here's an exception to that rule, given by the Bible. You know, that's something we should learn. When God tells us something, we can't make our own exceptions. You know. But if there's an exception to a rule in the Bible then we have to take into account that exception. But we can't say, here's a rule in the Bible, I'm going to make my own exceptions. No, the only exceptions to God-given rules are exceptions that He gives us. We can't make up our own exceptions. And that's what I think many people do on divorce and remarriage. We have the same kind of exception thing here in the divorce and remarriage passages. If we were to look at Luke 16, 18, it would look like every divorce and remarriage results in adultery. We're going to see exception to that. But let me read Luke 16, 18. Whosoever putteth away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her that is put away from her husband committeth adultery. So it looks like it's saying whoever divorces and remarries, it always results in adultery. <coughs> but we have an exception to that. Let me read Matthew 19.9. Matthew 19.9 says, And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. So Luke 16, 18, looks like it's saying, whoever divorces and remarries, uh, commits adultery, no matter what. But we have one exception to that. The exception is for fornication. If you divorce your spouse for fornication, then that's not a sin, and you're allowed to remarry without committing adultery. Do you see that? Luke 16, 18, 
and Romans 7, 2, and 3, by the way, state the general rule, that is, divorce followed by remarriage is adultery. There's one exception to that. No other exception. He said, whoever puts away his wife, except it be for fornication, shall marry another, committeth adultery. Matthew 19, 9. We're not free to add other exceptions to that. There's only one exception to the general rule that divorce followed by remarriage is adultery. And the only exception is, is if I divorce my wife because she cheated on me sexually, then I have the right to do that and to remarry. No other exceptions are allowed. And that's the way the exception clause works. If it works that way in John chapter 14, verse 6, and in John 8, 24, Luke 13, 3, then it's going to work the same way in Matthew 19, 9. We're not free to add exceptions because we don't, we don't want to follow God's word on divorce and remarriage, are we? Sally from Alabama, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. My question is, in previous shows, you spoke about speaking in tongues that, like in the Old Testament, it was, but in the New Testament, it's done with. But yet, you have spoke on the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit takes over and prepares you to speak in tongues directly to God. And that's a prayer to God's ears the devil cannot understand. So, Sally, the reason, and I believe they had, they had new, they had tongues in the New Testament. But First Corinthians thirteen verse eight says, "Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail; whether there be tongues, they shall cease." And if we examine the context of that passage, we see that that those the tongues it says they had tongues back then, but it says they shall cease, and that was written from from the standpoint of First Corinthians thirteen verse eight, and they did cease. By the end of the first well, century, Sally. From my understanding as a message I just left tonight at church, tongues is not left. And speaking in tongues has got saved my marriage and saved our life. So just thank you, and you have a blessed day, okay? Thank you for your call, Sally. Here's where we're going to need to learn to accept what God says, no matter what we see or want. Wishful thinking won't change God's word. If the Bible says tongues shall cease, stop, then they're going to stop. It wouldn't matter how many, how bad we want them to keep going. And we can go to a service and listen to them speak a bunch of gibberish. They're not really tongues. Acts 2, 4 through 8 shows us that tongues were actual foreign languages, that a person had not learned that foreign language, but God miraculously enabled him to speak a human language so he could communicate the gospel to that person without having to take a year to learn that language. But I've been to these services before where people claim to speak in tongues. It's always just gibberish. It's never a, a human language. Tongues were a human language. Miraculous tongues would cease according to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. I believe that. I have to believe that because God said it. It doesn't matter what people say. God said it. If he says tongues are going to cease, we have to believe that. And they did when that which is perfect has come. When the completed revelation, the complete New Testament came into existence, the very reason for the prophecy in the tongues stop. You don't have to keep revealing New Testament law in part when you got the whole thing. Appreciate you listening tonight. Uh, um, want you to listen again next week. The number to call, we still have a few minutes left, is 877-655-6755. Last week we were talking about obedience. Let me read you a passage on obedience. Matthew 721 Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. So the only ones that are going to go to heaven are those that do the will of the Father which is in heaven. Many will say, Oh, you, all you got to do is believe in Jesus. But Jesus says here in Matthew 7, 21, 
you've got to not only believe, you've got to do the will of the Father. Mark 16, 16, Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Belief is not enough. Obedience is required. Baptism is required. 2 Thessalonians 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 8, In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So to be saved, to avoid the flaming fire of the bad place, we're going to have to know God, believe in God, trust in God. We're also going to have to obey the gospel. That's pretty clear. Revelation 22:14 says, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have a right to the tree of life. The only people going to heaven and that will have access to the tree of life in heaven are those that do his commandments. Appreciate you listening. If you want a free one-hour phone Bible study at your convenience, call or text me at 256-682-9753. The number to call if you want the free one-hour phone Bible study or text 256-682-9753.